Let's dive into our, to our message today. I'm really excited today. Um, you know, uh, I, I, was, I, was, I was actually had a different direction I was going. And this week, I really felt like in just my prayer time, the Holy Spirit impressed upon me this message, uh, which is a passion topic of mine. And I want to talk today about the gift of grace. The gift of grace. The gift of grace. Uh, grace is a foundational uh, topic, uh, the grace of God is a foundational belief to our faith. And I think it's something that as the church, even walking with God for a while, we oftentimes need to be reminded of the importance of the grace of God. And maybe if you've had church experiences where there was not an emphasis on the grace of God, that you'll get a, an accurate perspective of who God is. You know, the Bible says this, Jesus was full of grace and truth. And sometimes I found the longer you walk with God, churches and even Christians can really err strongly on the side of truth. And how many of you know we are unashamed about preaching the truth of the word of God? Can I get amen? But not at the expense of the grace of God. Because without the grace of God, like none of us are good enough without the grace of God. So we're going to talk about the grace of God today. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's truly a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. As we open up your word today, Father, we know that you're a speaking God. So as we open up your word, that God, that you would illuminate the scriptures, the truths, make them real in our life, God. And uh, that we, would, we would walk out of here changed by your word and by your spirit in Jesus' name. And everybody said, let me give you a quick definition of grace. Um, I, I study this week kind of Old Testament and New Testament. And, and there's really kind of one overwhelming definition, kind of putting all of the words for grace together. And that's this, that the grace, grace is God's unmerited, meaning unearned, favor or blessing. And the New Testament, most often referring to the grace, refers to the forgiveness of our sins, that through Jesus Christ. But grace is really the unearned favor and blessing of God, meaning there's, there's nothing you could have done to earn it, that God has graced us. And I want to read a passage out of Luke chapter 19 that really is a beautiful depiction of the grace of God. Many of you might know the story. It's the story of Zacchaeus. Maybe if you grew up in Sunday school, anybody else grew up in Sunday school, you, you, you used to sing the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Come on. I kind of feel bad for Zacchaeus. Come on, somebody. In fact, true story, it says in the Bible he was short. Do you know by, by, by cultural definitions to be called short, meaning you were under five feet? He was a wee little man. Come on, somebody. If you're under five feet, I'm sorry if I offended you. I did not intend to, but it's the Bible, okay? Luke 19, 1 says this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. A little side note here. You know, I think a lot of times in scriptures, we see that Jesus would oftentimes be a champion of those who were overlooked and uh, vulnerable. And, but here we see Zacchaeus was a very wealthy man, but he was living in spiritual poverty. Can I tell you the poverty God cares about the most is spiritual poverty. Can I get an Amen. So it says here, 
he, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but he was short, so he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Then when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus then said to him, today salvation's come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. I want to share with you three truths about grace that are found in this passage and all throughout the scriptures. Here's point number one is that grace is is a gift. Grace is a gift. Jesus came to Jericho. Here's why that's, that's really important. Because Jericho was the city of tax collectors. Um, it doesn't mean they, they it doesn't mean like our, our modern day kind of thought of tax collectors. They did not work for the IRS. Come on, somebody. Some of you here might work for the IRS. We love you. But a tax collector in that day, let me give you who they were. They were typically Jewish individuals who worked for the Roman government. And they collected taxes from their own people for the Roman government. But then they took some off the top. So let's say you, owned, you owed $5,000 in taxes. They might charge you $6,000, take 1000 for themselves. So they were, they were not well respected or valued amongst their own people. In fact, Jesus, with his Jewish disciples, your average Jewish young man would never even go into Jericho because Jericho was like a place you don't go to because it was full of tax collectors. Now, at the end, when Jesus said, now this man too is a son of Abraham, that's a powerful statement. Let me tell you why. Because if you were a Jewish person who became a tax collector, you were expelled from the temple, meaning you were no longer allowed to worship because of your sin. And when Jesus says he is the son of Abraham, he said what I came to do is graft people who at once point were not worthy. I have now made them worthy because I came to seek and save the lost. Like, like if you didn't, if you understand the context, by him going to Jericho, then going to the chief tax collector's home, then saying he's now the son of Abraham, it would have blown the minds of Jewish individuals in that day. That he came. But let me remind us, Zacchaeus did not measure up to God's holy standard. Can I encourage you on this Sunday morning? You do not measure up. To God's holy standard. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Let me give you Bible, Romans 3.23. The Bible says this, that all of us, that means you, that means me, have fallen short. Here it says, everyone has sinned. We all have fallen short of God's glorious standard. That not one of us could meet God's perfect standard. 
That's why we need it. As John said in John chapter 1, here comes the spotless lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. As Hebrews 7 says that Jesus was the one and final sacrifice. As Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 5, that he who had no sin became our sin so we could have right standing with God. We needed a spotless lamb. We needed a perfect sacrifice. We needed a savior. Enter Jesus. All right, that should have got a far better response than it did, but... This is good news because the Bible says the penalty of you not meeting the standard is eternal death, is eternal separation from God, is eternity spent in hell. But because of Jesus, now the grace of God, we now are, have right standing with God. We now meet the standard, not because you're good. In fact, Jesus said no one's good. Come on, if Jesus, who was perfect, says no one's good, come on, somebody, you ain't good, all right? But because of him, we now can have right standing. Several years ago, I took my son Judah. Christina was out of town with, with Hannah, and um, she was pregnant with Abigail, so we had, we had just the two. And I took Judah to the Montgomery County Fair uh, for uh, kind of a little, little man outing, and we uh, had some fun. And anyway, so we walk by the, the game. You know the ring toss game they have there? It's like the glass bottles, and you toss the ring. So at that point in Judah's life, he loved Paw Patrol, loved Paw Patrol. And they had this Paw Patrol stuffed animal there. So he saw it. He's like, oh, Paw Patrol, Paw Patrol. He's excited. So I thought, I'm going to be a good father. I'm going to win that Paw Patrol stuffed animal. So probably about $20 later, I'm still not winning this ring toss game. I, I have a firm conviction those games are rigged, right? Like if you work for the county fair, can you just tell me that? Like they're rigged, like it is impossible. You're just taking my money, all right? And I don't know if it's because the, the, the man who ran the game maybe felt bad for me because I was spending so much money, or he just saw how cute Judah was. This is the actual doll he gave us. He gave us... The Paw Patrol doll. Judah still has this today. Uh, his Paw Patrol doll. So what did the man running the game do? He saw that I could not meet the standard. So he graced me with this gift. I didn't earn this. He freely gave it to it. Watch this. Here's what Jesus did. Here's how much God loves you. He was like, in your best efforts, you can't meet the standard. And listen, if you've lied once, if you've had a lustful thought once, if you've been jealous of somebody else's life once, if you've looked down upon somebody or judged somebody else's life once, if you have lashed out in anger against anyone once, you do not meet the standard, but God in his love and his grace sent his son Jesus to die on a cross and through his death and burial and resurrection, he gives us grace. That's the good news of the gospel. Some of you are thinking, Pastor, this is elementary. Let's move on from this. Here's the challenge in the church, I think. I think sometimes we move on from this. And we become works-based. We don't even realize it. The grace of God is foundational to the Christian faith. If we remove ourselves 
too far from grace, we have become another religion. And we are no different than any other religion in the world. You name it. You name it a religion. We are no different. The grace of God is this. is I do not deserve the life I have. I do not deserve salvation. But God and his grace and his mercy and his love and his kindness has freely given. That's good. Let it settle in for a second. Because we, we can't ever move too far from this. If we don't know what church we are, we're a grace church. We're, we're going to be full of grace for people. You want to know why? Because all of us in this room, when we were in rebellion, we wanted, we wanted nothing to do with God. God sent his son, Jesus, down on the cross for us. So who are we to stand here and judge other people? We are full of grace. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance, not, not, the, not, not the heavy handedness of God. Now, is God a God of justice? Yes, but he settled justice and poured out his wrath upon his son, Jesus. So if we sit in the position of judge, we have taken Jesus off the cross. And that's not my right. That's not my role. And we are grace because God's grace is so good. Romans 5.20, Paul says this, because some people have said to me, well, pastor, I've, I've messed up too much. You don't know what I've done. Can, can I give you some good news? Here, here's what Paul says. The apostle Paul, who, by the way, murdered Christians before he became a Christian. Grace. He, he says, where sin has increased, grace increases all the more. Well, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. Well, I got good news for you. The more you sin, the more grace has increased. It covers our, all of our sin. Titus 2.11 says this, For the grace of God, Paul writes, has appeared that offers salvation to all people. He came for the Pharisee and Zacchaeus. He came for the corporate executive and the custodial worker. For the family of six and the single mother. For the person who's straight edge and the person battling with an addiction. For those who grew up Christian and those who grew up Muslim. How many of you know the grace of God is for everyone? If we put our faith in Jesus. May I remind us, we are saved by grace through faith. For Ephesians 2, 8 says this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Not by works, so no one can boast. In fact, I love Paul because Paul, Paul had a little edge to him. Like, I mean, you can tell. Like, I think if you would have known Paul even as a follower of Christ, if you would have known his personality, I'm just, I'm just making some presumption based upon his scripture and his writings, you probably would meet him and probably say, yeah, I believe you killed some men. <laughs> like, you're kind of hard, bro. Like, even while Paul was saved... He says this. He says this to the Corinthian church. Like, I work harder than any of y'all. Come on, hang on. If you say that, you got a little pride. Come on, somebody. He's like, I'm better than any of y'all. Jokers. But he says this. But I still live by grace. Like, I'm more. He's like, I'm more moral than most of you people. But I still need grace. It's not my works. No one can boast. Grace levels the playing field. Meaning there's not, there's not a hierarchy in the kingdom of God. Because of Jesus, he levels the playing field. The grace of God. He says it's, it's not by our own works. It's by his grace. 
But I think, again, in my own experience as, as a personal Christian in my, and pastoring people, I think sometimes we can, we can unintentionally, I think, drift away from the doctrine of grace. You know, I was reminded we're, we're coming into the fall season and Halloween, and it was a couple years ago. Um, after what happens is when the kids go out trick-or-treating, um, we kind of take their candy, and then I, I take the dad tax. You know what I'm talking about? All the candy I like. Uh, they understand. I'm preparing them to be a tither. Like I said, listen, one day when you, you'll, you'll tithe and give back to God, now you just give candy to your father, okay? Um, discipleship. Um, so I, we, we, we hide their candy from them. But this one particular year, we apparently did not hide it well enough because we noticed candy missing. Several days later, in one of my children's drawers of where their clothes are exist, there were empty wrappers. There was evidence that a crime had been committed. So they weren't too sly yet about how to hide the evidence. So I had the corrective conversation because when I asked, you know, who took candy, everyone's like, not me, not me, not me. So I had the corrective conversation. And then after the conversation, I hugged them and I said, you know, we moved on. But then I heard that child beating themselves up with their words. I can't believe I did that. I pulled him back and said, hey, hey, come here, come here, come here. I said, mom and dad have forgiven you. You don't have to hold this over your head anymore. And here's what can happen. I've had conversations with Christians. And sometimes we can, we can hold our sin over our head as if Christ hasn't forgiven us already. Here's how it can come across. I've actually had people say things similar to what I'm about to say. They'll say, oh, well, that prayer wasn't answered because I didn't do what God said to do. Okay, well, if the grace of God is dependent upon your good works, then you out of luck anyway. (laughs) You can't be obedient enough. Or that relationship didn't work because I have sin in my life. (laughs) If your relationship working is dependent upon you being sinless, That ain't never going to happen. Are you hearing me, church? Listen, there are natural consequences to your behavior. So if you sin, there might be a natural consequence. Come on, right? Like like if if you speed on the beltway, you might have a natural consequence of a ticket. Come on, somebody. Or if you speed in Montgomery County, you'll get a ticket in the mail with a picture of your car on it. Come on, somebody. Not that I ever received those. Listen, but God does not punish you for your sin. Believing that God punishes you for your sin, you are nullifying the work of grace. God has already covered it. Can I just say this? This is for somebody in the room. Go easy on yourself. You're too hard on yourself. The Bible says this. 1 John 1, 9, that God forgives you of your sin and cleanses you of all unrighteousness. Isaiah 43, 25, it said, God remembers your sins no more. Psalm 103, 12 said, as far as the east is from the west, so does God remove your sins from you. Write this down. If God no longer remembers your sin, why are you still holding it over your head? Why are you still feeling the weight of your sin if God's already forgotten about it? If he doesn't remember it. If you've repented of your sin, 
You've acknowledged it's sin. You've returned from sin. Man, the Bible says God remembers that no more. God removes your sin from you. He has cleansed you of all unrighteousness. Amen? Grace is a gift. I could end the message right there because that's the good news of the gospel. Let's not get too far removed from that as a church. Sound good? Here's number two. Is that grace is a gift that that we give, to be given. So the Pharisees didn't have much grace because they began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Jesus was full of grace. In fact, Zacchaeus in his response becomes full of grace by being generous to people. Reminds me of Acts 15.10. The apostle Peter says this to to the Jewish Christians. He says, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus we are saved, just as they are. Here's what was happening. They were were holding Gentile Christians to a standard they could not meet. Anybody else notice this? It's far easier to notice someone else's sin than your own. And and sometimes I'm guilty of this. Can Can I be honest as your pastor? We can expect people to meet a standard that we ourselves cannot meet. Like we'll get offended when our spouse does not meet our expectation, even though there are many times you have not met your spouse's expectation. Or or we'll get upset when we find out our coworker, who doesn't even believe we believe, talked behind your back, even though there have been times that you've talked behind somebody else's back. Or we get offended by by a, a family member who says something hurtful to us even though we ourselves have said hurtful things to people. Here's what what Paul was saying. That the same grace that you've received, I now want you to give. That we are a gracious people. In fact, in Matthew 18, Jesus tells a parable. When when Peter asks Jesus, Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive people? I love Peter. Peter. Peter's keeping it real. Like Peter's like, hey, Jesus, so... This joke over here is really getting on my nerves. How many times do I got to forgive him? Come on, I like Peter. Like he's a little emotional, a little erratic. I kind of relate to him, okay? And Jesus, Jesus goes on to share a parable. Many of you know this one, right? There's a master, and he forgives his servant of 10,000 bags of gold. The servant turns around, and he demands somebody else pay him back a few hundred silver coins. You know what Matthew 18 says? The master calls in the servant, and he says, you wicked servant. Let's just settle in. Jesus calls, when we do not extend the same grace we've received to other people, Jesus calls it wicked. It's evil. Because he says, we've been forgiven of much. We've received much grace, so we're to be a grace-filled people. Can I share with you three ways the Bible kind of shows us how to extend grace? Here's the first way, is by forgiving other people, forgiving others. Ephesians 4.31 says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Has anybody noticed that we live in a highly offended culture today? 
No one, okay. Some of you are offended that I just said we live in a highly offended culture. No, but anybody else notice that? Like, like people, it's, it's, like, it's like someone tweets something and there's tons of people offended. Like, you, you got to be cautious of what that email says because someone might be offended by it. Yeah, what you say in a meeting because someone might take offense. You know what Jesus said? He said offenses will come. So we should not be surprised when a coworker offends us. When a spouse does not do what we thought they would do. When our roommate does not take their share of the responsibility. Offenses will come. Offenses will come, but write this down. Being offended is a choice. And listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, I say this with love, but it is true. If you're a follower of Christ, meaning you've been forgiven of your sin, it means that we, we forego the right to remain offended. Here's why. Because you've offended God with your sin, but yet he willingly forgives you. So who am I to be offended at what you've done to me when he's forgiven me of so much of what I've done to him? It doesn't mean that we sit there and we just take it. It doesn't mean that we allow injustice to happen. I'm not saying that. I'm not talking about justice or, or injustice. I'm talking about the matter of your heart. Because the Bible says it's, it's to your glory. This is the Holy Scriptures. It's to your glory to overlook an offense. It's to your benefit. I like to say it this way. Develop thick skin and a soft heart. I had an old pastor one time say this. He says, become an unoffendable person. <laughs> like, like you don't allow offense to take root in your heart. You know what the Bible says? That offense turns into bitterness. And that bitterness defiles many. Have you ever seen an offended person and how it's affected them? In fact, John Hopkins University did a study. They've, they found that harboring unforgiveness and bitterness is associated with elevated rates of, of, of heart issues, elevated issues of anxiety. Why? Because we're not called to live offended. Can I get an amen? Let me give you a practice that Paul instructs us to do that I have found helpful. Because can I be honest with you? There have been a few people in my life that have offended me that it took me some, some a process to really fully release and forgive. Let me all say this. Forgiveness is not forgetfulness. doesn't mean you forget it happened. Ah, oh, no big deal. No big deal. No, it might have been a really big deal. Forgiveness doesn't mean reconciliation. In fact, in some, some, some offenses are so significant, it wouldn't be healthy for you to reconcile. And, but forgiveness is you releasing them to God. Is you saying, I'm no longer holding this offense over their head. I'm no longer holding on to bitterness. Paul says this, to forgive as Christ has forgiven you. So write this down. Do this this week. Studies show that 62% of Americans admit they're harboring unforgiveness. The other 38% were offended that they got asked if they were harboring unforgiveness. <laughs> I had to have some fun there. It felt very heavy in the room, okay? <laughs> but listen, here's, here's, here's a study. Ready? Take a piece of paper, pull out your notes on your phone, and write down some of the worst things that you've done, the worst sins you've committed, the worst things you've said, the worst thoughts you've had. 
and then take in the fact that God, because of his grace, has forgiven you of each one of those. And allow the grace of God to then empower you to forgive that person for what they've said or what they've done. Amen? Forgive. Forgive. Number two is, is a second way to, to give grace is through words of encouragement. Colossians 4, 6 says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Have gracious speech. One of the things I find unique, I, I like to sort of observe human behavior. Maybe it's my background as a former psychologist. But have anybody ever um, done this? I find it intriguing. To, to read comments on social media. And what I still am amazed by is how much slander there can exist on social media even on Christian posts. Have you seen this? I want to comment and say, do you all know that this is the internet? It's amazing how much people are willing to slander somebody else via a screen. Do you know, there was a study done by Penn State in 2005. They found that 50% of the words that we speak to express our emotion are negative. Only 30% are positive. So our natural MO is to speak negative words about our emotions. Then you know they also found that when you hear negative words, it actually produces stress-inducing and anxiety-producing hormones in your body. So the slander, the malice, the rage in our culture, it's producing stress and anxiety. I think the enemy of our souls behind it, would you agree? So listen, do you want to shift the atmosphere of your workplace tomorrow, of your classroom tomorrow? Go in and start encouraging people. And here's what I found. This, this is, I'll, I'll be, be fully honest as your pastor. Knowing this, I have been like, okay, if the natural MO is to be negative, I'm going to be a lot more intentional about speaking words of life. So when you go into work tomorrow, compliment that coworker on how they led that meeting last week. Compliment that, 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 that classmate on how well they did on that project. Hey, compliment your spouse on the dinner that they cooked. Hey, parents, I know as a parent, I feel this. A lot of times you can have, you, you're, you're instructing or you're correcting, right? And speak life. Call out the good in your kids. And watch the disposition of their face change. You want to shift atmospheres around here? Begin. The Bible says this, the power of our words has the power of life and death. So we can actually speak words of life. We can encourage the people around us. Speak words, as Paul says, that build up and not tear down. Here's the last and final way you can give grace is through acts of kindness. Paul says, in, or Peter says in 1 Peter 4.10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as God's faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. Through acts of kindness, through, through serving other people. You know what will change the atmosphere of your workplace tomorrow? Go buy Krispy Kreme when the hot light's on. Get about three boxes. Because come on, you want to you see the atmosphere shift? Run out of donuts. Come on, somebody. Get more than enough. Always, little prince, write that down. Always get more than enough. 
and bring them into work. Hey, that neighbor who's maybe going through a hard time, check in on them. Hey, tonight, maybe it's not your night to cook dinner, but cook dinner for your spouse. Like, like just, you know what, I heard, a, I heard a pastor one time say this, always stuck with me. He says that when we do good, we actually do God's will. When you just do good. What did Jesus say? When we do good in Matthew 5, he says we glorify our Father in heaven. When we do good in Jesus' name. When you're just kind to people. You know, our culture around us, they may not fully align with what we believe about Jesus, but I'll tell you what, they will respond to acts of kindness. Every time that we do, we're coming up in October on our next serve day, where we'll have, last serve day, we had over 200 people in our church out serving the community. Our community takes notice. Even those who don't believe we believe about Jesus, they are moved by our kindness. And what does the Bible say? It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. I think sometimes, I had this thought this week, we can overcomplicate our faith. Being just kind to people. I'm telling you, you want to stand out, be kind, be encouraging, be forgiving. Sound good? Give grace. Here's the last and final point. So grace is a gift. Grace is a gift that we're to be, to be given. Here's a third point, is that grace is a gift that we, to receive every day, that we keep on receiving. So after Jesus comes to his house, Zacchaeus says, look, Lord, I'm going to give away half of what I own. Which, by the way, in Jewish culture at that time, 20% was considered extravagantly generous. If you gave 20% of your income away, that was very generous. He gave half of it away. He says, I'll pay back fourfold what I took from people. That far exceeded what the law required. If you would have known Zacchaeus, you would say Zacchaeus is a changed man. But write this down. This is so important to our faith. Zacchaeus did not change to receive grace. He changed because of grace. Because he received grace. Jesus didn't say, Zacchaeus, you better pay him back. Then I'll come to your house. What did he do? He first said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. In the presence of Jesus at his house, he came out saying, that's it. I'm giving half my money away. Hey, a little side note. The presence of Jesus in our life should make us more generous. Should make us more kind. Should make us more thinking about other people in our life. It should change us, and it does change us when we take hold of the grace of God. Titus 2.12 says that grace teaches us, watch this, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. The grace teaches us. The grace of God is not just to save us from our sin. The grace of God empowers us to experience what Jesus said in John 10.10. Life and life more abundantly. That grace, the unmerited favor and the blessing of God, there's more of what God has for you. I was reminded this week of my, uh, my grandfather. Uh, he's since passed and has gone on to be with the Lord. And uh, when I was young, I remember my grandfather, uh, he was a great man. He, he loved God. He loved his family. He loved to see uh, he had, they had seven kids and many grandkids and great-grandkids. He loved his house full. And he loved Marilyn Krabs. 
Come on, somebody. Who does it? And you know, come on, you know you're from Maryland, you know this. Covered in obey. Come on. How many know? Obey on everything. Anybody else with me? Come on. Obey. You put on, like, if you're uh, born and raised in Maryland, you just keep obey. You, like, take it outside and sneeze a little obey. Come on. Uh, when Christina was first, we first met, she still, she had to learn that, being from Florida. She's like, you put obey on French fries? Yes. Obey makes everything. I don't even know what is in, in obey. It's like seasoning from heaven. It's amazing. But he would love to, to, to have all-you-could-eat crabs crab legs. Like growing up, I remember my uncle would host these crab feasts. Anybody else did this growing up? And long table, put out like the paper, and just dump bushels of crabs. And you just, he just sit there. He would sit there for a long time just cracking crabs. And uh, he would love if he went to a restaurant where it was all you could eat. Because it was like, you know, you just sit there and the moment you're done, the waiter or waitress comes with a fresh plate full of crab legs or crabs. And I was thinking about that because in the same way, there was this kind of never ending. There was always more. Like he, he, would, he would eat himself until he was, was very full. There is, with, 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 with grace, there is always more grace that we can experience with God. Like God's grace knows no bounds. God's grace knows no end. And what does Paul say to Titus? He said grace is it instructs us. Grace teaches us. So how do we experience more grace? You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer actually says when we just view grace for the salvation of our sins, we cheapen it. We cheapen grace. But to experience the fullness of grace... And this is important, and this is a perspective I want you to get. When we follow Christ, when we worship God like you're doing today, when we read the scriptures, when we obey the scriptures, when we, we forgive others, when we live with purity and integrity, when we're generous with others, when we obey the word of God, we can experience more of the grace of God in our we don't do it to earn grace. We do it to experience more of grace. That's why some of you, even last week, somebody told me, he said, man, every time I come to Catalyst, when I come to church, I, I leave and I feel, I feel lighter, I feel joy. Do you want to know why? Because when you worship God, what you're feeling is the spirit of God and the grace of God. That when you spend time in prayer in the presence of God, you don't do it out of religion. You do it and you experience more of his grace. Paul said in Romans this, it's my last scripture. He said, give yourself completely to God. For you were dead in your sin, but now you have new life. Just a reminder, God does not make bad people good. God raises dead people to life. So we were dead in our sin. We now have a new life in Christ. That's why we get baptized. It represents that new life in Christ. He says, so use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. So when we come to faith in Christ and we experience the grace of God, it's not like, God, thank you so much. I'll see you in heaven in a little while. 
No, it's like, God, I want more of your grace. So I want to worship you. I want to obey your word. I want to read your word. I want to forgive my neighbor. I want to be more generous. I want to walk in paths of righteousness and purity. I want to be more kind. I I want to. Why? Because I want to experience more of your grace, more of your joy, more of your peace. Can I tell you this? When you walk in the grace of God, you experience the abundant life of God. If you've experienced any of that, can you say amen? It will help make your relationships healthier. It will bring more joy to your spirit, more peace to your mind. You'll walk in more purpose in your life. The grace of God empowers us to live our best lives in Christ. Amen. Let me pray for you, church. Bow your heads with me.